We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on the marathon as we continue to roll along on this show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and use the hashtag Hoopsville. You can always uh, email us, dave.mcqueue at d3sports.com. We're also simulcasting the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Also a fundraiser for the show here today. We appreciate any support we can get. We have a few donation buttons on our main page for the marathon. You can get to that, by the way, right on the front page of D3 Hoops. You can also, on any of the links we have tweeted out today about the show, but also on the D3 Hoops website, if you go to columns, go down to Hoopsville Marathon, you'll see the link there as well. We are still rolling along with the show here, and we have, in the past, occasionally had the uh, vice president of Division Three on the show to talk about the state of Division Three, as it were. And today is going to be no exception to that rule. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline is the vice president for Division Three. I consider him a friend, Dan Dutcher, and, and he's got some friends with him as well. Dan, thanks for taking the time to join us. Dude, Dave, and thanks for the opportunity. Really uh, appreciate it. And uh, let me ask my two colleagues to introduce themselves as well. Adam? Sure. Hey, uh, everyone. Uh, Adam Skaggs, Assistant Director for Division Three Governance Communications, and uh, happy to be here. Jeremy. Jeremy's going with us, Assistant Director of Communications here at the NCAA. Well, thank you so, very much, gentlemen. Go ahead, Dan. These two guys are uh, important colleagues, and uh, I think it's a great opportunity for all of us to, uh, to, to uh, talk about D3. It's an exciting uh, moment for us as we just have concluded the convention, and we're looking forward to a very busy year and happy, happy to chat about that. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. I saw, I don't remember if it was a tweet or whatever from you, Dan, where you talked about you love Thanksgiving or Christmas, but your second favorite day is a business session. Made me a little worried about you, Dan. The business session's <laughs> your second favorite day? Then it's a, probably a close second, too, uh, um, but you wouldn't be alone in, in worrying about me. It, it, <laughs> it, the business session to me, encapsulates what the association and division are all about. When you look uh, out at a room with about 1,200 delegates, folks get up, debate issues, talk about the pros and the cons, and then ultimately cast, uh, cast their decision, one institution, one conference, one vote. To me, it re really reinforces the size, the diversity, and, and the democratic nature of the division and the association. It, it's a real strength, uh, and it's a reminder of how things really get done and, and how uh, how fundamentally democratic the association is. Sure. Well, no, I, I always tell people that they um, we can rag on the NCAA, and certainly uh, I'm not perfect in that either, but some people misunderstand that to, to the larger degree, this is about the membership, not about what people do in Indy. And so I always find the business session fascinating. I would love to have been out in Anaheim, but I'm looking forward to it. It's in D.C. next year. Yeah, it'll be a little closer next year. Um, Folks are always uh, happy to go to Anaheim, where this year the weather was in the mid-70s. Um, 
I think a lot of people join me when, uh, when they see palm trees. It makes me very happy. Um, the weather was delightful. I think it put folks in a good mood. But uh, D.C. will probably have an even greater attendance. It's more convenient for a lot of our membership. And uh, definitely look forward to it. Sure. I agree. Some of the best attended ones have been in D.C. Um, there's a lot we could talk about with the convention, Dan. Um, there's a lot of legislation that went through. I saw only one thing didn't pass, and that was making equestrian a... Um, I just blanked on the term. A, yeah, an emerging, an emerging sport. Not that we're on an equestrian show, but I, I certainly know the equestrian programs. My alma mater's got a pretty strong one in itself. I'm curious why some sports get that that nod and, and a sport like equestrian did not. You know, equestrian's been an emerging sport in Division One and Two for about a dozen years. Um, Division Three equestrian community did not uniformly support making it an emerging sport a dozen years ago. Um, obviously, significant time has transpired, but the issues that were articulated again this year, I, I think, are pretty familiar. For some schools um, in D3 who sponsor varsity equestrian programs, um, they like the way things work right now. If a school is going to become a varsity program in Division Three as an emerging sport, so if the emerging sport legislation were adopted, then you have to start applying Division Three rules. That includes finance, uh, pro prohibition against athletics aid. It includes playing in practice seasons, recruiting. Um, it includes some restrictions that don't currently exist for the D3 schools who are sponsoring varsity as a non-NCAA sport. Uh, and folks, I think, feel, it, some folks feel like if um, they adopt D3 rules, it will put them at a competitive disadvantage when it comes to recruiting and their ability to compete against the D1 and D2 schools who are, for example, able to offer athletics sure. aid in a particular sport. Yeah, it makes sense. I, that's, I appreciate that. It was just more of a curiosity thing for me. Yeah, and, and the vote was close. Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if at some point the, the issue comes back for, for you know, additional consideration by the membership. Does it have to be a D3 sport, Dan? There's a lot of sports that aren't D3 that are all combined. Uh, I can think of a few up top of my head, but they're, they're, they're a different kind of section of it, of as, as it were. So does it have to fall into the D3 umbrella? You would, get to, you would make a choice. Uh, so if you want to call that sport a varsity sport for sports sponsorship purposes, for example, in Division Three, you'd have to apply Division Three rules. If you wanted to not call it a varsity sport, call it a club sport, and apply non-NCA legislative standards, you'd be able to do that. So it's that varsity designation that would really be the rub. Gotcha. Um, lots of other things going on at the convention. I found this year fascinating because I think there were a couple of things that, that had my attention. One was possible re regional expansion, the next step in that. Uh, there was also, obviously, the ongoing conversation about NIL. Uh, there was some other legislation about shortening, for example, um, the time it takes to become a full-time Division Three member. There were a lot of interesting things going on this year. I think, maybe to be blunt, one of the more interesting um, years for the convention in the D3 level, was it not? Um, you know, the, the amount of debate uh, maybe belied the fact that uh, there were some significant proposals um, considered. So the, the, uh, the, the equestrian proposal got over about a half an hour of debate. There were some other proposals that maybe didn't get as much, but they were still significant. So, you know, an example of a couple, um, we debated whether student athletes out of season should be able to receive snacks. Um, in conjunction with their training activities. That, that was the second year that we've considered that proposal this time. It was adopted. 
but a pretty good discussion about whether student athletes out of season should be able to take part in team-specific leadership activities, non-athletic leadership activities. Um, that had a pretty good debate. Ultimately, that was adopted, but it really called into question the availability of leadership activities outside of athletics versus mm -hmm. those that are more team specific. So that I think was a, I thought that was a healthy uh, I thought that was a healthy discussion. Um, you're right in terms of the membership proposals. Um, one relates to schools that are reclassifying from within the association. Typically, that's school coming from D2. The other proposal affected schools that are coming in from outside the association, and both of those were adopted in a way that potentially re uh, lessens the, the total start to finish time by, by at least a year. Um, but that was supported by the membership committee because they feel comfortable that the education program that is in place will accommodate um, a, a very robust uh, membership preparation for those schools uh, in the new time frame. Does it also maybe allude to the fact that the four-year process maybe was unwelcoming to some who are considering the change, especially considering it locks out an entire class of students? You know, basically a four-year student will never be able to participate in the postseason if they're eligible? Well, I don't think there's any question that the timetable is was lengthy. It was lengthy for a reason in order to ensure adequate preparation. Um, it was also uh, four-year because, to some extent, it guarantees that no student-athlete or, or virtually guarantees, grad students aside, that no student-athlete who previously received athletics aid would still be around once you become an active member. But I think the, um, I think the, the arguments in the other direction were that, that, it was, uh, that it was excessive and that it was unnecessary. You know, there's another year that was affected by um, this process, too. Before you become a provisional or, or, or a, uh, yeah, a provisional member, you need to complete, under the current rules, an exploratory year where you're not actively involved in the process, but you're becoming educated, you're basically kicking the tires. Um, you know, that exploratory year will still exist for schools outside of the NCAA, but for schools that are, that are transferring from within the NCAA, again, for example, from Division II, folks concluded that you don't really need that exploratory year. You're already a member of the association. You get it. You understand the divisions and, and what they're all about. Sure. Makes some sense. Uh, do you expect an influx another – we've had an interesting – we had that run there for a while of a lot of Division Three members or, or applications, I should say, to the point that you guys had to be capped every year at four to, you know, as, as tradition. It feels like we've had a lull in that, even some who are leaving for Division II. I've, later in the show, we'll discuss another school that's possibly leaving. Um, do, you, do you anticipate another influx, especially after this change? It's possible. I, I don't know what to expect. Um, I, I think that there were institutions and conferences that supported the proposal in principle, and I think there are some others who, you know, have specific schools in mind that, that might be more interested in a possible transition. I always say, it's, to me, it's less important about what school, uh, an institute, uh, what division or institution is in, provided it's the right fit for them. Mm. So if a school's in, in, in a division decides they'd rather be in another division, um, that's important if they make that decision for the right reasons. If they've considered all the alternatives, they decide it's, it's a philosophical fit as well as a, as well as a practical fit. I, I guess the other point, Dave, I wouldn't want to lose sight of is we've lost some schools too, not only because they've reclassified, but because they've closed. 
True. So, you know, just to remind folks, I, I think it's not the, certainly one of the hottest issues in higher ed right now uh, relates to the enrollment challenges that, that, that smaller, but it, it's apply, it applies across higher ed, but especially affecting smaller um, private institutions, and that, those, that's bread and butter membership for Division Three. but we, I think, lost approximately five schools last year. Yep. Um, there's a crisis or on the verge of a crisis in higher ed related to enrollment management. So we've lost some schools as, as well as added some. Per that's, that. That's kept, our, that's kept our numbers somewhat somewhat stable. Oh, absolutely. Um, per that, Dan, does, does the home office, as it were, take uh, – how do you guys approach the fact that these schools are have been having some problems? You've had closures, as you've mentioned. There's going to be closures again. There's trouble at, well, at Wesley. Uh, there's, you know, Wells has been dancing along this line. Iowa Wesleyan's been dancing on the line. There's certainly others we may not even know about. How, do you guys at the home office have any role or do you try and help? Or is that one of those where you're just there and it's kind of like watching a volcano? You can't do much about it. You, you can only watch. You know, I think when you talk to presidents, one of the things that we do that they value significantly related to this issue is simply allowing them to uh, use athletics to leverage enrollment. So, you know, Dave, I'd say a dozen years ago, athletics and uh, the admissions part of the house weren't as closely aligned as they are now. Uh, at a lot of institutions. Our average sports sponsorship has ticked up somewhere during that time period from about oh, 16 or so to I think we may even be pushing 18 uh, average sports sponsorship now. So folks are using athletics as an opportunity to leverage enrollment, but not simply to leverage enrollment, but also to deliver all the educational benefits that come um, through student-athlete participation. And what I've told folks is, I think that's great, provided, again, you're doing it for the right reason. Simply adding the sport uh, doesn't accomplish what we want you to accomplish if you're not delivering those educational benefits. And you've got to be sure that the tail doesn't wag the dog, that athletics mm-hmm. becomes so important that it eclipses its proper role within the academy. And I don't think we're there uh, at all, but I do think that, that that's a danger that I like to articulate. I think that's a great point. Uh, I do know of you know adding lacrosse, which is one of the fastest-growing sports, not only in the division but around the country, period. You know, yep. it certainly helps with membership numbers, but you don't want to, you know, kind of blow right past your, your point. That said, Dan, I, I, my alma mater frustrates me because I feel like it's the opposite. Oh, we have athletics, but, you know, whatever. Um, sometimes I don't think they see the bigger picture and what it can provide, but we could go in circles on that. Um, when it comes to um, some of the other topics that were certainly talked about at, at the convention that weren't necessarily voted on, I know there was a lot of talk about this new regional expansion coming, and I know we don't have all the facts publicly, and we hope to talk in a couple of weeks here after it's possibly passed the championships committee yet again, talk to to those behind the effort here. But it's a significant change. It's not like realignment a few years ago where we literally just realign things. We're looking at expanding. We're going to have basketball from 8 to 10. Um, uh, Football would go to 6 off the top of my head from 4. Uh, lacrosse is going to grow. Other soccer is going to grow. All these. That's a significant step forward. And I've gotten maybe my wires crossed. I want to start with first your thoughts on that. Uh, and second, is this going to ultimately need a vote? Because as one person pointed out to me, there's a cost behind this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, 
It's been a very deliberate and uh, significant effort. I think it's maybe going on two years now that it's been under yeah. discussion. Um, I really want to give a lot of credit to the to the commissioners uh, as well as the championships committee because they've really rolled up their sleeves. You know, Brad Bankston, the ODAC commissioner in particular, I think deserves a lot of credit um, for his steadfast uh, uh, commitment to trying to get this done. Um, it, it, I think. It, it, to some extent, it may reflect the, the, the topic we just discussed. We, we're, more sports are being sponsored. Um, I think that helped to generate interest in reviewing the regional alignments and making sure that they were appropriate and recognizing the fact that uh, on many sport committees, we would benefit from greater representation. Um, that that you know, we've had enough sport growth and in several committees, we, we, we should have additional members. Uh, once you go down that road, then obviously you, you, you also need to ask the related questions of, okay, what should the alignments be? And also, um, I think after round one of this discussion, we, our, our folks who are doing hands-on on this recognize there's a sort of uh, balance of uh, competitive equity that you also cannot ignore when you're um, reestablishing uh, regions. And so trying to balance the, the regions from a competitive uh, strength standpoint that's a whole nother challenge, and that, as you can imagine, as you know, is it, not easily solved, but you, gotta, you can't ignore that either. So I think we're, we're coming, uh, we're closer to the end of the effort than the beginning. Um, I, it, it, will, it will take a vote of the governance structure, and there will be a price tag attached, but the divisional alignments aren't something that the membership votes on. Ultimately, it's the championships committee that, that has authority, the sports committees, and then the championships committee that has ultimate authority in, in identifying what those, um, what those regions are. So even though there's a cost to it, the membership doesn't necessarily need to vote on this to approve it? That's correct, because okay. the membership does not vote on our specific budget allocations. Ultimately, those are a function of our management and then finally our president's council. Understood. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up, because uh, we'll hear from Sam Atkinson later. He thought maybe it's going through uh, uh, another vote, which I get, because of the cost side of that. It certainly yeah. becomes. From your vantage point, though, it, it's obviously not going to be easy. It's going to go into effect should it pass the next couple of steps, 21-22 academic year. So we've got another... Uh, 18 months uh, before it finally kicks in 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 earnest is it is it tough to put this in place is it going to be challenging because of extra people or do we have enough time here that it's going to feel pretty seamless i think the the folks who um who i uh trust that know the most about this feel like the timetable to get this done in the spring no later than the summer for implementation the following year is is sufficient timetable okay um, let's switch gears. NIL. I know this is a, well, it's a lot of things. It's a hot potato. It's a, it's a loaded situation. It's not necessarily got a lot of easy answers. It's mainly, I understand a D one thing, but it's become an all NCAA thing. And I know we're not anywhere close to a solution. I'm not looking for answers on that, but I am right. curious, how is the division approaching the NIL? And for those who aren't understanding what I'm talking about, we're talking about the ability for a a student athlete to profit. Well, I'm going to let you go into that because I'm not going to do a good enough job. But what? How is Division Three prepping for what this future could be? Yeah, it, it, you're right. It's a very complicated issue. I think it's the most significant issue we'll be facing as a division, certainly in the coming year. Maybe it's the most significant issue we faced for the last several years. Um, basically, the association-wide effort to 
to, uh, to not spend too much time on this, has been spearheaded by a subcommittee of the Board of Governors. That's included some Division III uh, uh, representation. They charged the divisions beginning in October with looking at the division-specific legislative uh, uh, changes that might be appropriate to try to enable student athletes to have more opportunities to benefit from the use of their name, image, and likeness. We're talking about, you know, things like uh, crowdfunding, um, testimonials, brand ambassadorships, uh, private lessons, uh, YouTube uh, uh, feeds, those kinds of those kinds of opportunities, internships, externships that are that are publicized. Those are the kinds of opportunities right now where. Let me just say, each of the divisions have different standards to begin with, um, but each of the divisions has been charged with reviewing where we're at and, and how we should modernize um, our rules. For Division Three, we're going to charge, we have an oversight group um, that consists of the leaders of key committees, and we're going to charge in particular four committees with, with taking hands-on on this. First and foremost, the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, because ultimately this is a student athlete issue. Number two, and, and equally as important, our Interpretations and Legislation Committee, because what we're really talking about is, is revising our, our existing legislation. And a lot of our NIL uh, landscape in Division Three is done through interpretations, mm -hmm. not legislation. So interpretations are equally important. There's a third way in which this is handled, and that's waivers. Division One's done a lot more waivers. We've done a lot more through interpretations. So those are the two main committees. The third committee would be uh, Management Council Subcommittee on Legislative Relief. That's a, that's a waiver committee. So the first two committees, SAC and ILC, will basically propose what the new legislative standards are. The waiver committee would then say, okay, based on those standards, these are the waiver criteria we might establish to pick up the rest of the kinds of cases we may deal with. And then the Committee on Student-Athlete Reinstatement, which basically if student-athletes do something that makes them ineligible, that's the committee that needs to get their eligibility restored. So those are the four committees we've identified with leadership responsibilities. We've taken the chairs of those four committees. They all report to the Management Council, which reports to the President's Council. So we've got the chairs of the Management Council, President's Council involved as well. Then we've taken the three reps from um, the, the Board of Governors work group, uh, and we've asked them to serve on this, uh, this uh, division-specific oversight group as well. We started with um, an update and some general feedback on some potential at the convention in January. We had an issue that lasted about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, we got some great feedback. I can talk a little bit about the models without getting into too much detail, but from here, those committees I, I identified will have a round of discussion leading up to our April council meetings. There'll be another round of discussion and another opportunity for membership feedback between April and the August meetings. That will include uh, opportunities for membership feedback at regional rules seminars, uh, conference seminars, COSIDA, NACTA, those kinds of meetings. Coming out of the August legislative uh, uh, council meetings, July and August, we, we're going to need to have um, some legislative models that, 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 the, that the membership can vote on because our commitment is to get something done no later than the January 21 convention. The way our legislative timetable works, whatever you vote on in January needs to be proposed by September 1. Wow. So in, in some ways, this is far from over, but in other ways... There's a lot to do in a very short period of time. 
Yeah, we, we really don't have a great deal of time to deal with this. It's, you know, the, the typical Division three legislative process anyway, where you, we'd come forward with maybe proposed legislation next year's convention for review and feedback, and then we'd vote on the, uh, we'd vote, we'd vote a year hence, but we really haven't, we don't have the luxury of doing that. And, and quite frankly, the reason we don't have the luxury of doing that is because this is an active issue um, at the state level and uh, it's becoming an active issue at the federal level too. So California's already uh, passed one uh, bill that um, sets a standard. Other states are actively considering uh, related standards. We're a national association. Right. Um, we, exist in, we exist in every state and um, having different state standards um, really is presents kind of an impossibility for a national association. We need a uniform standard. So ultimately, we'll probably need the assistance of Congress to help achieve a national uniform standard, which would, which would uh, eclipse any state standards that are established. But, um, you know, we need to do our due diligence. We need to come up and identify what we think the appropriate standards are so that when, uh, you know, so folks know that we're taking this issue seriously and when we go potentially to ask Congress for, for assistance on this, that they recognize that we've taken this seriously and we have a proposed course of action for them to consider. In the grand scheme of things, is this going to be something that's a dramatic change at the D3 level? It, it, it really is going to depend on how far our membership would like to consider change. I tend to think that it may not be as significant a legislative change for Division III um, as it might be for the other divisions. If folks believe that, for example, um, currently we don't permit institutions to be awarded in the financial aid packaging process in a way that considers athletics ability. Um, if folks believe that institutions should not become involved in actually managing or, or promoting or arranging for name, image, and likeness opportunities for student athletes because of a similar concern, then that probably would limit how far the division would go in terms of, um, in terms of um, what it might make available. Like I said, a lot of things currently are permissible through interpretation. Um, there may be some other things that, that become available We've really talked about three different sort of pools of potential activities. One is where activities are created simply because students are students. It's independent of their student-athlete status. Right. That seems to be the easiest group of activities to maybe embrace for Division Three. The second pool is our additional activities where the student-athlete's athletic status is a factor, but the institution is not involved. That's another area where there, there may be more robust discussions. That third area where schools are actively involved, that may be the biggest change from the status quo. That may be the hardest for the division to embrace. That'll be fascinating to watch, and I know we're, it, it can get easily into the weeds. We don't have a lot of answers, but I appreciate at least the breakdown. And if people didn't quite get it, I, I suggest you rewind and listen to what Dan's broken down there yet again. Um, Quick question back to the convention. I know there were some non-controversial, they call it, bills that the management council was dealing with. Some of them got, one of them caught my attention, um, and it had to do with how gyms are used for non-in-season use by teams. How does that stuff go about? Are those things approved? How do we find that out? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in addition to the proposals that we formally vote on at the 
business session, every quarter there are proposals that come forward to the councils for consideration. Typically those come from the Interpretations Legislation Committee, although not exclusively. And those are proposals that are recommended for adoption by the councils as non, what we call non-controversial legislation. It takes three quarters of the council to agree that the proposal should happen and that it's non-controversial. Um, if three quarters don't approve, but a majority approves, then it becomes convention, what we would call, you know, regular convention legislation. Um, but the, the, the non-controversial proposals are uh, packaged up in an appendices in the convention uh, notice, um, the, the beloved blue pages, and if folks from the membership at the very beginning of the business session, we ask, we tell folks among the things you're doing when you approve the convention program is you're adopting those non-controversial proposals. They were effective immediately upon approval by the council, but any one of them can be pulled out for separate discussion um, by delegates and by, by the delegates at the business session. And if the vote is to not accept them, they're referred back to the governance structure. So are they are they then passed? I mean, how where did the yes. One of the things that sticks out to me is, if I read it right, um, was one about uh, athletically related activities, voluntary out-of-season activities limited primarily to members of the team. Essentially, yep. this is kind of surrounding the Stevens Point investigation where you could you know, reserve a gym for basketball practice and no one else can be using that gym. No one else can be in that gym if you've reserved it for, let's call it a captain's practice out-of-season. It seemed odd to me. Um, and maybe I misunderstood it, but I assume that got passed, and I'm trying to figure out the ramifications. Yeah, and I, I don't remember the specifics, and unfortunately my, my convention notice is still being shipped back from, from Anaheim. But, <laughs> but generally, you know, as I recall with that proposal, it allows um, athletics facilities to be reserved upon request by team members for team-only use. But again, it can't be supervised. It can't be mandatory. Um, it still has restrictions associated with it. Sure. Um, we can talk about it some other time, but that worries me slightly. Um, I, I, one of the coolest things we had was we may have you know, said we're going to go play indoor soccer, but anybody could join us, um, and we had fun doing it. Uh, we even found other teammates that way that hadn't been on the team. But I don't want to get in the weeds because I want to learn more about it. Sure. Um, Hey, Atlanta. We should talk about Atlanta. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, it's really exciting. And I know Sam's going to be on later, and, and he, you know, is, is chair of the men's basketball committee. He, he's probably the best source of, of detail on this. But we're, you know, we're extremely excited to be doing an, a joint men's championship again. We've done, we did one for, for men, I guess it was about, what, six years yeah, 2013, ago? Yeah, 2013, yep. Yeah, uh, so the, and um, we did one for women a couple years after that. They were extremely well uh, received, um, especially by the, the Division Three, Two, and Division Three student athlete participants. Um, I, I just want to emphasize the experience of the student athletes at this event is, is it mirrors the experience of, of their D1 counterparts. Police escorts, um, uh, the, the whole, you know, hotel uh, stays, um, trips to uh, the fan fest. Um, trips to, you know, include, being included in the awards banquet, um, the whole raft of, of opportunities that are available to Division One student-athletes, that's what is experienced by the D2 and the D3 student-athletes who are involved in this. 
Um, it's a first-class experience. It, for us, David, allows us to put a spotlight on Division Three men's basketball. In a few years, we'll, we'll do the same thing for, for women. To put a spotlight on D3 basketball at the association's biggest stage. Uh, you know, Final Four for us is an unparalleled uh, publicity and, and media opportunity. It gives us an opportunity to, to promote that to uh, folks that, that may forget that uh, or not fully appreciate what Division Three basketball is all about, um, how much talent there is, how much skill it is, what, what, what a unique experience it is, and uh, how important it is. Um, yeah, we're certainly looking forward to it in the entire – yes, we'll talk to Sam more about it in detail later on in the show. Um, but it's certainly a, a cool opportunity. Can you remind me, though, when the, the women's has already been dedicated for a time and place? I think it's in India, is it? Or am I, no, it's in Houston, correct? I, I believe it's Dallas. Oh, see, uh, I just take a pick, throw, yeah. a, throw a dart. Well, Houston is also in play that year because the men will be in Houston and uh. the women will be in Dallas. And, and at least in theory, I've heard there may even be a bullet train built by, uh, <laughs> by our friends in Texas by then. We'll get you back and forth. So if that's the case, you know how I am about public transit. Count yep. me in. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be that'd right. be a ton of fun. Uh, certainly, we'll look forward to that. Um, I know you mentioned something to me that I think you wanted to bring up. We'll get in probably more detail down the road about this, but there's now yeah. an effort across the board to maybe improve officiating in, in a lot of sports. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you uh, you brought that up. Um, I w- I'm really proud of our our colleagues in the D3 Commissioners Association on this because they've really taken a leadership role here. They have uh, advocated, I think, very strongly um, for, for, for quite a while that we would all benefit from a comprehensive review uh, of officiating, um, how we recruit officials, how we educate them, evaluation, retention, training, all of those things, um, you know, particularly in some sports, um, we, our officials are aging out, yeah. potentially. Uh, we need more officials. We need to encourage folks to become officials. Um, they uh, decided to uh, spend some of the, the Division Three grant money that they received. They pooled some of that money and um, uh, basically decided to hire an outside consultant in the Pictor Group to do a comprehensive review of officiating in Division Three. Um, that was sort of last fall. Once our colleagues in Division One and Division Two heard about that, they said we, we've got similar issues, um, and so the association decided to do a more comprehensive uh, association-wide review. But I think the beauty of this is D3 review is going to take place. It's sort of happening sooner than the rest, so that the, the D3 uh, exercise will take place. But it's going to take place in the context of a broader association-wide effort. And there's a steering committee here um, of D3 folks, and then some of those uh, D3 folks are also involved in the association-wide steering committee. So, you know, Patrick Summers uh, from the new MAC uh, commissioner is, is, is chairing the effort. He's done an, an exceptional job on this. And I, I'm just really pleased that we're able to, uh, to generate uh, this review because uh, I think it's really going to be uh, uh, beneficial not only for D3 but the association as a whole. And as you know, officiating is not, uh, it's not a, a, an effort, an activity that, that's just narrowly focused on one division. Lots yeah. of folks uh, you know, officiate across the divisions, and, and, and officials migrate back and forth, and that affects all of us. Absolutely. Uh, there isn't many officials I know who don't do multiple divisions. Uh, we've, I think the very beginning of our chats years ago, 
Um, started with you throwing me a curveball, talking about how the budget was tight. How is the budget these days? You know, the budget, we are fortunate that the budget is really pretty good. Um, recall that the current broadcast agreement with Turner and CBS uh, for um, Division One men's basketball tournament, which generates, roughly speaking, somewhere on 85% of the association revenue. That current contract um, expires in 23-24, and then the new broadcast agreement kicks in, uh, I think it's 24-25 uh, or 25-26. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I think it's 24-25. The last two years of the current contract, our revenue is flat. We've received, roughly speaking, about 25 to 3% annual revenue increase, but that money was front-loaded, uh, and so the last two years of that contract is flat. The last year, our budget projections are the last, and we have a, a reserve policy in D3 that, roughly speaking, we need at least 50% of the annual allocation that we receive, an amount equal to that, in reserve, um, in case something happens fiscally that's, that's of a catastrophic nature. That very last year is the only year right now where we're projecting that we're going to be tight, that we may be around what our minimum reserve requirement is, but then the good news is that the next year when the new contract kicks in, we get a 12% revenue bump. After that, it'll be, again, closer to about probably 2 3% more, a more reasonable Good. increase. But that first year, we'll have a big bump. So we're really focusing on trying to uh, project out through the, 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 you know, the remainder of this contract. We know that uh, there'll be more money available during that subsequent year. Um, but I think our projections right now uh, are, have us in a place that is good, allow us for some reasonable, minimal but reasonable uh, expansion on both the championship and non-championship side, for example, championships. When we add sports sponsorship and, and based on our access ratios, those are things that we've committed to, to paying for uh, no matter what. Fascinating. Appreciate the update. Uh, I know you got the two guys alongside. Anything they want to add or anything I've forgotten that I said I might bring up that you guys, uh, it's your floor? Uh, thanks, Dave. Uh, just one thing I want to mention for the actual joint championships is just the emphasis of reminding people that those tickets are free for D1 or for D2 and D3. Um, that being an all-day event, you know, people could still plan to uh, head down to Atlanta, um, head out there for the the whole weekend, and hopefully try to buy some actual tickets for the D1 event too if they want to go to that. But um, just the emphasis that that is a free event, you know, the, the more the merrier. Try to get as many people out there as possible. Um, obviously, too, we have the kickoff concert with Taylor Swift being there, too, as well. So we, we have a, a lot of events going on that weekend and just glad to be a part of it from the D3 side of things. I appreciate if you kept the, uh, the, the concert hush. If my daughter hears that, I'm going to have to bring her along, and I am hosed, okay? Just FYI. Yeah, um, and then I'll... Uh, Dave, another thing that we always try to put out there is just the emphasis of Division Three week, um, yes. which will actually be the following week, and that's uh, the April 13th through the 19th, um, something that we pride ourselves on here in Division Three, and just the emphasis of all that we do and giving back to the community and who we are as a division uh, working as a whole. So um, as much as you uh, promote Division Three, we'd love to have you continue uh, promoting Division Three week and, and being a part sure. of that. So. Uh, just definitely thank you for all that you do for our division. Well, thank you, sir. I've got your reads somewhere from the soccer season. I think I got to start throwing them in there. <laughs> uh, anything else before I let you guys go? I just want to thank you, Dave, so much for you know the, your continued dedication and, uh, and attention to Division Three. How much it means, I think, to our student athletes. You know, we're 
We're almost 200,000 student-athletes. Um, we're the largest division in terms of student-athletes. We're the largest division in terms of member institutions. We're not the largest by accident. You know, we're right. the largest because Division Three works. Uh, it's a great model. Um, I think it's, it's the, the, the pleasure of, uh, and the honor of, of those of us in the room that, that you know, we get a chance to support what is, was ultimately a, a fantastic model that, that promotes the education of our student-athletes. Uh, student yeah, there's a reason I love covering the and I and I love my work in D1 as well. Don't get me wrong, my my work sure. at Navy and the and the like are fun, but I certainly enjoy the D3 and I appreciate the time Dan uh and the rest of you guys uh certainly for coming on the show. I could talk to you forever, Dan, as you know, which was why Dan avoids my calls sometimes. Uh but I appreciate it nonetheless. Uh I don't know if you have any final words. Um, but if you do, go ahead. Otherwise, we'll we'll let you guys go and get back to more important work than chatting with me. Thank, thanks so much for all you do, and uh, good luck with the rest of the marathon. Thanks, sir. Guys, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Enjoy. I, I know I'll run into you at some point down the road, and I'll look forward to chatting with you. Take care, and, and uh, maybe uh, see you in Atlanta as well. Hope so. Thanks, Dave. Oh, by the way, Dan, Dan, I don't know if my car is available for D3 management rides around Atlanta. Just warning you. Oh, that will be any any other ride will be a letdown. <laughs> well, if you like being squeezed in the back seat, uh, sir, the, I'll never forget that, sir. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye bye. Dan Dutcher joining us, plus uh, his entourage there at Indy headquarters. Appreciate them all coming on the show uh, a little longer than we expected. Um, as much as I even try to carve out some more time for that. It's always interesting stuff. Some of it may sound like it's in the weeds, but it's important stuff. So go back and review it. Uh, we'll certainly talk with Dan down the road as well as things um, progress. Got to get to a break real quick here because uh, on the other side, we got to talk to Karen Harvey about the Women's Basketball Committee and their work ahead of them this season. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. The marathon continues after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. It's on us. It's on all of us, and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. 
and prepares for her finest moments on and off the court. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. I learned a lot about Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on this marathon day as we continue to roll along a little bit behind schedule. So we'll keep things moving here for a bit. We do have some time coming up in an hour where we can make up that time. But guests are also lined up and have schedules, and we want to keep and respect those schedules certainly as well. Coming off the conversation with Dan Dutcher, it seems appropriate that we continue to talk a little bit about the nuances of Division Three. And, of course, in two weeks' time, we'll have the regional rankings for the first time. A little bit later, if you look at it on a calendar, it's right in time with our normal schedule. But again, as, I, as I'll mention later, too, the time frame between Thanksgiving and Christmas was tighter. It gets made up somewhere. We play until March 1st in the regular season this year. That means date it back three and a half weeks, and you get your first regional rankings on February 12th. As I joke about later, and you'll hear now, don't worry, next year we'll think they're coming on too soon. Um, so how do these all work? We always talk to a, a committee chair or both of them on this show and joining us on the blue frame technology hoops. hotline is an aforementioned committee chair of the D three women's variety. Karen Harvey joins us, the head coach of Montclair state coach. Thanks for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. Of course, Dave, always a pleasure. Um, well now you're lying. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that first and foremost, I don't, I've lost track to how many years you've now been on the committee because the women went through this absolute wackiness of having a lot of turnover in the last few years and committee members reassigned. What year are you in? I know you're in your technically your second term, but what year are you in? I am in my fifth year on the national committee and my second year as the national committee chair. That's, that's incredible. Uh, how many more years do you have? Technically one, Dave. Technically okay. one. Oh, really? We'll see about that. Oh, uh oh. Hint, hint, folks. Hint, hint. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if you had another year under your belt coming or not. Um, or two years, I should say. Yeah, uh, no, just, well, I had a two year term because okay. I took over for Dave, who became right. the athletic director at Scranton, and then a regular four year term. So it, it's, it's considered six years, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Now it, yep. now, now it adds up a little bit more sense. Um, First and foremost, um, obviously the work, you, you guys are still two weeks out here. Um, we are, but we've been doing a lot of work already. Yeah. yeah. We're still a couple weeks out from really getting going, but we've had all kinds of training calls, and we had a, a national committee uh, mock training call for the first time ever uh, yesterday. Okay. We have four new national committee members this year. Yeah, you got a bit of turnover this year. Again, yep. kind of just the, the wackiness of things. You You lost a few to... Uh, other reasons, and you lose two technically every year anyway. Can you give us a reset on who's on the National Committee? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, first year on the National Committee is Nate Davis from Gettysburg. 
uh, Mary Lynn Skarzynski. Sorry, I said that wrong. Skarzynski. <laughs> from, you do it. <laughs> that's a mouthful. From Nichols. Uh, then we have Michelle Friends from Whitman. And J.C. Brooks from Cortland. Those are our four new members. Returning is Polly Thomason from UT Dallas. Megan Wilson from University of Wisconsin-Platteville. Um, myself. And then we, we got Chris Hoffman to agree to do one more year as well. Uh, just because otherwise we would have five new national committee members, which is way too many. So yeah. but four and four. So we got Chris to do an extra year. So that's, that's kind of four returners, four new ones. Um, and uh, we've got a good crew. No wonder you say you might have one year left. In other words, you might have seven is what you're trying to say. Uh, um, when it comes to the, the women's side's a little bit different than the men's in the fact that a, just by happenstance, it seems a lot of coaches slash administrators, um, administrators who are also coaches have programs that are really successful. And as a result, they're in the conversation when it comes to regional rankings at large bracketing, hosting, et cetera. And it feels like that puts a huge burden on your committee because your your committee in particular makes sure to remove individuals if ever their team's in the conversation. Um, right. It's a little bit different than how the men do, and we can get into those differences another time. But it feels like – is there a way to – I'm trying to find a way. Obviously, we may go to 10 regions here soon, um, and you'll probably be off by that point. But – and that could add a few more voices. But is it because so many successful women coaches are also administrators, and as a result, those successful coaches want to be involved, that we're just getting this influx of coaches who may be on committees but end up having to be pulled off of calls? Um, I think, you know, I, I don't really know the exact answer to that, I'll be honest. But I think, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it takes a lot of time to be on a national committee. You know, and I think you need more experienced coaches in some respects. It, I mean, we, we're, we're excited because we have a couple newcomers um, who, like J.C. Brooks, not new to coaching by any means, but new head coach. So I think that that's great to bring in some uh, a little bit younger, you know, uh, experience-wise into the fold. And Mary Lynn, she's been coaching for a while, but still younger, you know, sure. um, that kind of respect. You, you know, I think it just varies. Um, you know, the con it's also, you know, the conference commissioners nominate. It's this huge rotation. There's a lot more to it than just, you know, like if, if I know for my conference, if, if like soccer is on a national committee and field hockey is on a national committee, then then women's basketball wouldn't get it, you know, right, kind of right. thing. So I think sometimes institution and conference-wise that comes into play a little bit more than people realize. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it just so happens, I mean, that we have, you know, some experienced coaches that have great programs and, you know, um, but – we. That is our policy, and we stand by the policy of not having mm -hmm. them involved. Now, only when we're talking about their team and only in bracketing. Other than that, they can get back on the call. Sure. I no, mean, yeah. they're, they're off the call during selections until their team is selected, and then they can get back on the call. You know, they're off the call for bracketing because we just don't believe that it is – not that anyone would ever do it or anyone would ever use it, but we don't like the perception of it, that a team would know who their opponent is, you know, 24 hours before their opponent knows. You know, so it's just more perception. I think that's always been the policy on the women's side. I don't agree or disagree one way or the other. I could see the argument for both sides. I understand why the men do it the way they do it. I think we're all professional and we could all – we, I don't think anyone, I mean, I think people take the National Committee very seriously, and it's an mm -hmm. honor to be on it, and I don't think anyone would ever use that information as a, as a 
game advantage. Well, as a devil's advocate, I would say, um, first off, if anybody ever were to break uh, the trust um, and, and do anything nefarious, for example, start recruiting or not recruiting, uh, scouting you know, well in advance, um, well, they're gone. And, and, you know, that's part of why you're right. on the committee. You should be trusted to not do that. But then to quote somebody, and, and for, I don't remember who gave it to me. It was several years back, so my brain has gone mush. But to quote him, I'm so tired by the time I'm done that the last thing I want to do is get a 12 to 18 hour head start on everybody else in terms of scouting. I want to go sure. to bed. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I could see. I mean, I, like I said, Dave, we've kind of gone round and round yeah, for my time as a, on, on, as a national chair and on the committee. And I, I see it. I do see it from both sides. But, the, the, you know, that is our policy. Sure. We, we stand by it. It's not going to change. Um, and, you know, so we do some things to adjust for that. You know, this year we have three, three teams right now I'm looking at that are probably in the mix. Yeah. And, you know, that, then we'll do some adjustments. <laughs> and, you know? and guess who else has gotten into the mix? You guys are on a 10-game winning streak. Did you not get the memo, Karen? <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. We'll see. <laughs> a lot of game to be played, yeah. Um, obviously, you talked about the mock rankings already. You guys have done some work. I know you'll do some more work ahead of the February 12th. What's the most important thing that the committee is trying to strive to the racks to understand about your processes and your criterias to let them be comfortable with, for starters, and second, to to adhere to, for lack of a better description, ahead of at least the first regional rankings. Right. Well, I, you know, I thought for the first we talked we discussed at the annual meeting last year that we wanted to do a national committee training call, which we never do, um, because we had four new members. That kind of spurred the conversation on. But just to try to get the four, the eight of us on the same page before we're running our regions, you know. So we did actually a mock like regional call, how you, how you should run your regional call. We gave out some best practices and basically like, hey, this is how you should do it. Um, so that all of us, and we talked about all different scenarios and how would you handle this and how would you handle that. And, you know, so we tried to give, uh, kind of get everybody on the same page before we even get to the mock ranking, and the mock ranking is next week. Um, so then next week we'll do the mock ranking, the official sort of official, non-official <laughs> <laughs> ranking. Um, with our racks and then presenting with the national committee. And that really lays the foundation for us going into our first week. The better job we do during the mock rankings, the better set up we are for the first regional ranking. Mm. Um, when you, when you tackle these and the criteria, we should point out, if you don't mind, give a quick re we'll, we'll do this with Sam too, but can you give us a quick sense of what the primary criteria is that everyone's going to be mainly focused on when it comes down to these teams? Sure. So it, it, it hasn't changed um, from last year. So it's winning percentage, head-to-head, um, -head, uh, common opponents, strength of schedule. Those are the four primaries. Mm -hmm. Did I forget one? No, I don't think so. Those are the four primaries. Well, there's and then, five, right? Say it again. Aren't there five primary? Uh, I don't know. Am I forgetting one? No, you might have. <laughs> Let's right because my brain I think froze. I got it. You probably did. Yeah, we'll double-check it. Go ahead. Um, and then if we need to, um, I'm pulling it up right now. Sure. Um, oh, sorry, results versus ranks. Very important. Right, there we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that one's kind of important. Yeah, that's sorry. Correct. Well, it doesn't come into doesn't, play until right. the second week. Second yeah. week is, and that's probably why you forgot it, because in the first week you're not even dealing with it yet. Right. 
Um, and then if we get through all that and we can't make a decision, then we can go into the secondary criteria. And last year, the, the new thing last year was the non-conference strength of schedule. And that has been a huge addition for us. Uh, I think that has really helped us paint a picture and helped both teams who play in a really tough conference and teams who maybe play in a not as strong conference. I think that that has really helped them. So we like the non-conference strength of schedule. Um, you know, that's a really good piece in the secondary that we can use. And then obviously you have non-division, but that doesn't come up very often. Sure. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's something that, again, you, you pointed out the first week, we won't have the results versus regionally ranked opponents, and, and we'll get right. into that. One thing you guys seem to have an interesting balance with is because sometimes, for the easiest of everybody, SOS and win-loss numbers are the easiest to understand. Results versus regionally ranked, I think, is right there in the mix as well. But those other two, you know, there's head-to-head, certainly, and, and they are understood. But the SOS and win-loss get a lot of focus. You guys seem to have found an interesting balance with that. How difficult is it sometimes to have a conversation about, hey, this team is really good, but they haven't played anybody, versus this team isn't as great, but they've played the world? Right. And I think, actually, that kind of started back when Bobby Morgan was the chair. I think she really taught all, and I'm still under her, you know what I mean? That's who I learned from. So I think she really did a good job of finding the balance between strength of schedule and win-loss percentage and constantly challenging us as we're looking at it to look at their entire body of work, keep looking at their entire body of work. And, you know, we don't – we try very hard not to – put strength of schedule, because that, that is one of the things the NCAA is too much emphasis on strength of schedule. Sure. Um, so we try really hard not to put an overemphasis on strength of schedule versus win-loss percentage. But, you know, obviously those two numbers are, uh, uh, speak volumes. Yeah. So, you know, um, we delve into that. We look at it. We t- and that's where that non-conference helps us. So if you look at a team that's just in a traditional not a strong conference, then you go into their non-conference strength of schedule where they get to choose for the most part, you know, with, I'm sure some people are going to argue that, but they, they get to choose <laughs> who they're going to play outside of conference, right? Sure. Um, so if we see, okay, maybe you have a 4-12, which is crazy low strength of schedule, but your non-conference strength of schedule is 5-12, and you really, really try to go out and play some teams, then that says something to us. You know, because it, I think Kelly Whitaker always says this, like, doing this is a a science and an art. There's a little bit of an art to it, and there obviously is some subjectivity, or we would just have the computer decide. Sure. No, it makes total sense. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. And then what is the point in talking to you guys? Because we all know what the answer is going to be. Right, exactly. So I think that's what we try to do. We try to find a balance, and I think we've done a good job for the last few years. You know, um, uh, certain regions really lean towards strength of schedule versus win-loss. You know, but I think as a committee, it gets balanced out within the eight regions. Yeah, makes total sense. And and fascinating how you guys will do the work. Um, How much prep work do you guys do in the end? (laughs) And I mean that seriously, because it's it's wide open. Week to week? Well, well, yeah, week to week. Yeah. It's probably, as a national chair, now I have a couple more hours in there, but I would say I'm putting in probably 16 extra hours a week. Okay. Wow. Like between conference calls and homework and, you know, like, you know, we, we do this whole sheet that we send out, this whole Excel program that we send out, you know, prior to, like on Monday. And then, uh, you know, then I have to do my own rankings. And right. then you run a call on Tuesday. And then you have to prep to present, you know, and then you're presenting. And the, the national call on Wednesdays could be sometimes three hours. And then for me, obviously, I have a um, 
close call on Thursdays. So to get ready for the national championship. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's not so like I, you're busy or anything <laughs> at all. No, but it, it, but people put in a lot of time, and you know the great thing is that they care, and we want to get it right. And there's no agenda. On, I, I will say this: in my entire time being involved with the national committee and the re- regional committee, which is eight years, I, I have never ran into anyone that had their own agenda. Like everyone wants to get it right. We want to get it right for each region. We want to get it right as a you know, and we certainly make mistakes, but sure. You know, we're trying to get it right every single time. You know, we want to do our best. We want the 64 best teams in within the guidelines that we have to follow. Right. And I think that's the key there is the guidelines you yeah. guys have to follow. Yeah, that's um, an important asterisk. Yeah. Slight, but just, we're getting just somewhere, Dave. You know this. We're getting somewhere, right? We got the first-round pilot program passed. So, or right. first game. And that, right, hasn't, first game. that hasn't been as big a deal in basketball as it certainly is in other sports, but yeah. why was it so important from your guys' point of view? Is it almost a uh, we're trying to avoid the inevitable or trying to f- make sure things go the way we want them to and we don't get forced into that matchup? You know what? I think women's basketball and has a voice within Division Three that mm. at, at some points might be a little stronger than other sports. So we that was really important to our national committee. We had a really strong national committee member from the West, and she did a really good job of continuing reminding us of uh, of what you know uh, of their situation. Let's put it that way. Sure. Um, no, absolutely. So, you know, and Texas the same. You know, Texas is in the same situation as California, so or anybody in the West. Um, so, you know, it was really important to the National Committee. We've been pushing this for my entire time, five years. We put it forward every year. Um, this has one of been the biggest thing on our agenda to try to get done. And, you know, the fact that the NCAA really took a hard look at it and they're willing to do a pilot program for all sports, right. all Division Three sports, um, so that there's no first game uh, conference matchup, is, I think it's huge. Now they're going to do the pilot program for two years, see how much it costs them. Sure. And then we're going to keep pushing because our goal is first weekend. You know, Which that's is our goal. Huge. That would be unbelievable. Imagine what that would do just in women's basketball. Imagine what that would do to the West, you know, yeah. and, and the South. And the South. But it, we've got to see what the costs are. Right. And the only way to see what the costs are is to start, take this first step and get a real cost analysis of, of can, you know, can, is the NCAA willing to put that money in? Can they afford it? And, you know, how that plays out amongst all sports. I got to let you go soon, but I'm curious how it is to be a second year committee chair. Obviously last year was kind of getting your feet wet as a committee member or not as a committee member as a chair. The women have certainly had more repeats than the men have, but I'm, I'm interested in what it's like to be a chair the second go round. I think it's a little easier. I think I understand what's coming, you know, and, um, uh, you know, definitely have my feet underneath me. I'm, I'm definitely more prepared, you know, so. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, though, your team who started one and two um, <laughs> is now 15 and four. Uh, they are not making your life easier. And I mean that in tongue in cheek. It's great to see them succeeding. Um, what do you have in store with you this conference, which I thought was going in a certain direction. Now it's a three-way tie between you guys, TC and Jay, and, and Rowan. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, Dave, I'm super excited. I'm very proud of my team. We have worked so, so hard to get back um, sort of in this spot. And, um, you know, obviously TC and Jay and Rowan are, are really, really good. Um, we had a good game against Rowan. We were kind of playing lights out that day, and everything kind of went our way. 
So, you know, now we have TC on, J- on Saturday. So, that, you know, Saturday's coming up. But we're playing really good basketball, and my kids have been work- my players have been working super hard, and we've seen a lot of growth across across the roster, like one through, you know, 14. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really awesome. It's fun. I'm having more fun this year than I've had in a while. You That's know, awesome. there was no pressure on us this year. We knew we were still yeah. rebuilding. Yeah. So I think we're just having a really good time with it. That's awesome. Uh, I, yeah. We will get you on to talk more about the team at a later date, certainly. Um, Sounds good. And I appreciate you coming on and talk a little bit about the committee. We'll get you more on later in the year when it's more important. Um, yeah, absolutely. We need to talk about officials when we uh, when we talk later on. I would love to do that, and we'd right. love to get the uh, women's official on as well, uh, head of officials at some point. So yeah, we'll, yeah, Mary Tobin. It'd be awesome. Yeah, we'll dedicate some time to do that down the road. Karen, thanks so much as always. Anything you want uh, as a – well, we always give the final word to the guest. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? Nope, just thanks for everything you do, Dave. Uh, make sure you get some water, you know, <laughs> 10 seconds to – to use the restroom for your marathon? <laughs> yes. Uh, the restroom's going to be important. The water is, is sitting next to me. I've been down down on the coffee in my WBCA mug, but I'm going to have to switch to, to water. I agree. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, Dave. Thanks so much. Thank you, Karen. Take care. She's Karen Harvey joining us from Montclair State. Didn't talk a lot about the team of the inject, but we'll talk more about it. By the way, in the middle of that segment, up over the shoulder, I put up the uh, hoops. Which area am I pointing? There we go. Figured it out. Um, our donations so far. Really appreciate all of you out there. Uh, we have links on our main page. We have tweeted out. We put them on our Facebook stream. Um, the links to be able to donate to us. If you're not sure, email us. We'll send you the link. Um, we really appreciate everybody who supports us. We've got to take a break because we're behind schedule. I've got to get going. Adrian Scheibels, Bowden, big number one versus number two game coming up. And Coach Scheibels at Bowden, um, maybe they're in the driver's seat. We'll find out. We'll talk to her coming up. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops left to this. has given me the flexibility to pursue my passions and my interests and I've recreated my identity for myself aside from just being an athlete. My greatest personal discovery has been that I am capable of doing things that I didn't know I was capable of doing. To be able to study what I wanted to and continue to play the sport I love, all of those things came together very nicely in one package in Division 3. Cheer for the stumbles. The heat should have had bats. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built.
being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I coined my definition of success in 1934. My definition of success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction in knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. It's like reputation and character. Reputation is what others perceive you to be. Character is what you are. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. We'll try that again because my mic was off. Uh, I said, Karen Harvey talked about making sure I get water. Wife brings in water in a hoopsville glass. Um, how about that timing? Perfect. I don't think she was listening, but perfect timing. All right, we'll keep things moving. Uh, big number one versus number two battle in women's basketball is coming up this weekend. Uh, it seems to happen in women's basketball because number ones and number twos happen to be hanging out in the NESCAC often in the last few years. But it doesn't diminish the fact that it's a big battle nonetheless. Of course, Tufts versus Amherst was 1v4 uh, a couple of weeks ago. But we're going to up it here with Bowden versus Tufts. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsaw Hotline. Apparently on my graphic, it's Damian Strayhorn. But in reality, it's Adrian Scheibels, the head coach of Bowden. And we'll get that fixed in a moment. Coach, thanks for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, I know the 1v2 matchup probably means nothing to you guys at this point. It's a game, and it's, and it's a conference game, and it's uh, you know an important game against Tufts. But does it maybe bring on another level of importance or at least some notoriety because it is 1v2? Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's absolutely an important, critical conference game, and that's how we're approaching it. It's also an amazing opportunity to figure out where we're at and what we need to focus on down the stretch. Um, but I'd be lying if I didn't say, like, yeah, of course, there's been a lot of hype around it. I think we're going to have quite a crowd here at Bowdoin, and so it does it does add you know an additional layer of excitement. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it's it's a big game. You guys are undefeated, 19 and 0. 5-0 and in NESCAC play. Uh, of course, you're coming off a 31-2 and campaign last year. Uh, that wasn't too shabby, undefeated in the conference. Of course, the conference right now is synonymous with some of the best teams. As good as G.P. Gramacki made the Amherst team, Tufts has come along, and so have you guys. 
to make it just as competitive, if not even tougher. And of course, Tufts has gone through a coaching change, which is darn impressive. Um, how how is it? What is it like to be in the NESCAC on the women's side right now? Um, it, it's fun. It's exciting. The talent is amazing. The coaching is tremendous. Um, it's it's just a great conference to play in. You know, there's just no there's no gimmies in our in our league, um, top to bottom. It's very strong. Very good deep basketball so um you know it's it's just a great conference to both play and i played in this conference and now to coach in it it's it's really a gift yeah you we should point out obviously I played in this conference um and and know it well uh last year unfortunately thomas more unceremoniously ended your guys' season as they did everybody's mm-hmm. um with with the victory um in in the national championship of course you guys faced them in that game um, wasn't as close, I think, as, as many people expected it to be. But what did you guys take from that experience, especially winning St. Thomas in the semis, that you brought forward into this year? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, we're super proud of what we did last season, but it naturally is some heartbreak attached to that final disappointment. Um, and so, you know, I think we lost a huge class. Um, of, of seniors, four tremendous players and leaders. Um, but I think that that, last, that loss just um, really kept our underclass women motivated to um, get back to where we were last year and have another run at it, another run at a conference championship and another run at a national championship. Um, so they worked incredibly hard in the offseason and um, have truly risen and been focused on the process and developing each and every day. And, and so I think that served us really well. And speaking of which, you mentioned the four seniors being lost. Did you expect the, the, the team to still be as good, maybe better than last year in terms of being number two in the country, to be undefeated at this point, outscoring your opponents by 15? Another great question. Um, <laughs> to be honest, no. I mean, I really thought we were going to have some growing pains early in the season, just given our youth. And we also lost one of our only returning guards with playing experience to a stress fracture, unfortunately. Um, so we've we've had to rely on freshmen from day one, um, and we've had to obviously rely heavily on our our, our returners with experience um, from the get-go. Um, but that being said, as soon as I got on the court with these women and I saw their tenacity, like I said, their focus, their growth mindset, their focus on getting better each and every day, I knew we had something special. Um, their confidence, their belief in what we could do, um, I think that just set the stage for what's developed here. It's certainly been impressive, the program you guys have delivered. Now let's talk about Maddie ha- uh, Hassan. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, I love how everything's in years, so i got to do math here. So she's a senior this year. It is yes. 2020. I have yes. to admit it's 2020 first before we even get off the ground here. Um, 15 points a game. Uh, a sophomore in, in K at 11.2. Train um, a junior at 10.7. I'm going to mention Roy because it's 9.9. That's basically double digits. So you got four players essentially in double digits. Hassan leads the way at 6.7 rebounds on top of that. Uh, it seems everybody hands out assists, but Roy at five and a half certainly is the key to that. What makes this team tick? Uh, 
I think, you know, our, our commitment, our players are all, all, they're all all in, you know, they're just really committed and dedicated to, to our team standards and our team values. So first and foremost that, but beyond that, I think our senior leadership is, is special and that has really carried us this season. So Sam and Maddie and Olivia Ware comes off the bench. Um, they just, uh, they lead by example. They lead with their voice. They hold, um, our, their teammates accountable to really high standards and, um, that's made a huge difference with such a young team. Uh, so you got Tufts ahead. Yeah. And obviously you've known the Tufts program, but it's different now mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that you've got uh, a team that has got a new coach after, you know, obviously the, over, over the other one left in Jill Pace. But Jill Pace knows your program because she graduated from Bowdoin. This is mm -hmm. an interesting matchup coming up on Saturday. How do you prepare for them when they may be the same but different and yet have someone who's familiar? Um, yeah, I think you prepare in, in the same way that you would for any, any other conference game, honestly. It's really studying the film, um, their tendencies, uh, and trying to um, focus on your own strengths and where you can you can really um, find some openings against such a, a great um, especially defensive team but offensively they're they're really producing great numbers this year and in that way they're quite different I think they're just they're putting up bigger numbers and they're playing a little looser I guess I'd say mm -hmm. on offense so um, but beyond that, it's just it is a special it's a special game. I mean, to have Jill, um, just such an amazing player for Bowdoin, uh, take the reins of that program and 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 really, you know, following Carla Baruby doing such a, an amazing job. Um, it's there's a lot to you know be proud of there. And um, she's also a hometown hero. She grew up like a town over from here. So yeah. I think it it just really sets the stage for. Um, a really special uh, competition against two solid teams. And appropriately enough, the game will be played at your place. But it's on top of that, how important is it that it's at your place in Brunswick, Maine, versus you having to travel down to Boston this year? Yeah, it's great. I mean, anytime we can <laughs> we can compete uh, in Moral Gym, it's, that's that's amazing. Um, it's been it's been a huge uh, season for us of aways. I mean, we're um, I think we only have ten home games the whole year. So, um, you know, we've had this one. Uh, all of our home games have been circled from the get go. We've had a lot of complaints from our fans, but um, it's just that kind of year where our conference schedule is largely away, and our non conference schedule, unfortunately, was largely away too so we're excited to have this one at home and um and the the, the game on saturday against Bates is our as our senior day and yes. um and and they're playing so well so it's a, yep. it's a big important weekend for us i was gonna say we can't overlook Bates on the other side of that no, and the fact as you point out not a lot of home games these are your last two before the conference tournament if you want to make sure everything comes to brunswick including the nca tournament this is a huge weekend yes for sure um, for sure. And then, of course, on the road for Amherst and Hamilton, at least you continue going westward in that trip versus going all the way to Hamilton and then coming back to Amherst. Uh, and then the following weekend, you'll play Wesleyan. Um, is, is this how do you keep everybody focused on your team on versus the, the, the spotlight we're putting on it? Hey, it's one versus two and understanding it, it's still a game that you need, to, you know, you need to be prepared for. Um. Yeah, we do. I mean, we've been really stressing that in practice, and um, and I do think that it's just our mantra as it is, one game at a time. And and um, you know, 
I think just buying too much into the hype is is it, there's a danger in that. And so um, I'm really hoping that our women are, you know, appropriately excited and yet um, and like you said, but focused on the game plan and what we need to do to be successful. I do notice you're pulling your roster in from everywhere. I think we've talked about it before. Connecticut, Massachusetts, Colorado, California, obviously the state of Maine on top of that, but D.C. and Washington uh, as well. How do you get them to Brunswick, Maine? Because I'll be honest, I know it well. It's not exactly uh, on the beaten path. Well, we got a great thing going on here, Dave. We got an <laughs> amazing academic school um, with just the best faculty uh, in the world, and uh, we're in this quaint New England town who loves their women's basketball. Um, as you know, we get great crowds and great support, um, and our basketball program, you know, has done super well, and and um, we have a f- fantastic team culture, and so I think it's just one of those places where you can go get the best education and combine that with, you know, really um, amazing women's basketball. So, Well, I, I'm impressed, uh, to say the least, and looking forward to the game. Have, have you settled in? Is, have you found Maine to truly be your vacation land? Um, 100%. Well, as you know, I was born and raised here. Oh, so, yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of, of the state and all it has to offer and the, and the people that reside here. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a lifer here. I'm more impressed that you don't have the main accent. That's all I'm <laughs> really impressed with. Um, I know I get strange looks when I tell them I grew up part of my life in Maine, but then I explain I didn't learn to speak in Maine. Uh, I learned to speak elsewhere, but I'm always impressed that you don't have the, the strong Maine accent. But maybe that southern Maine part doesn't have it um, as much. Uh, obviously, it's more than Tufts. What's the message to the team moving forward in general? Um, not to sound redundant, but it, it really is stay focused one day at a time, 1% better each and every day. Sure. Um, you know, and, and coming down the stretch here, our last five regular season games, all conference games, all enormous with huge implications. Yeah. Um, but just as, as importantly, like I said earlier, it's a chance to find out what we need to work on and continue to grow and develop heading into postseason play. So, um, you know, we can't just rest on our laurels and what we've done thus far. We have to keep growing and developing. Sure. A lot of work left to be done, even if it's only a few games left. That's right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us. Looking forward to the game this weekend against Tufts. Looking forward to the rest of the season as well and seeing how it all shakes out. Uh, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Um, yeah, I would just love to get a uh, shout-out to Coach Mo at Hope, who just had his 600th win. What a tremendous accomplishment, and he did it so fast. Um, <laughs> so he's a, a friend and just someone that I deeply respect in the business, and I just, so I just wanted to say congrats to um, Coach Mo. Oh, well said. Uh, I know he doesn't think he's going to stay on that record very long. Somebody named GP Gramacki he thinks is going to come swooping in behind him. Um, <laughs> you're not too shabby yourself, though, Coach. Four, one, 411 wins. Um, that should be saluted as well. Uh, we should have done that earlier, but congratulations on that. Thanks for the Thank time. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. And take care of yourself. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the rest of the season. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Adrian Scheibel is joining us here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Really, if you look at the women's uh, rankings in the NESCAC, you might be shaking your head because Bowden's number one at 5-0. and Tufts is 4-0. and Obviously, that shakes out a little bit more this weekend. Trinity is sitting at 3-1, and followed by Amherst and Williams at 3-2. and Yeah, it's a little bit wacky. Uh, Amherst with two losses in conference. I don't remember the last time that's ha- happened. 
Uh, and then obviously Bowden or Tufts is going to take a loss this weekend. So the rankings in the NESCAC rather fascinating this year. And again, three of the top programs in the country and Trinity and Williams hanging tough with them so far. So fascinating to look at that and appreciate Bowden uh, coming on Adrian Scheibels, especially we'll keep going here. Coming up next, Kate Pearson down in the Philadelphia area at Cabrini will join us. Talk about her squad and what's going on there. And the, uh, the uh, rather challenging CSAC race. We'll talk to her about that all coming up. Um, you're listening to Hoops presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will after this. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. Our obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. I used to never really talk, ever. I was scared and shy. It was hard to look at people's faces. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. I made friends and won lots of gold medals. But I learned more than just playing golf. Special Olympics helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else 
is speechless. Welcome back to Hoopsville, the marathon. I want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology for their assistance in not only streaming this show, but also with our hotline number. Uh, if you are if you found us finally and wondering why we're not on YouTube, we've got some issues behind the scenes at YouTube uh, that, I, that I'm a little frustrated about, to be blunt. Um, and so we're not able to simulcast. We're going to continue to work on those to hopefully bring that back. Um, it has to do with using PSAs from the NCAA, best I can tell. It's it, It's... Yeah, got me frustrated. By the way, I did not notice while talking to Coach Scheibel, she's the last one to donate to our cause, our PayPal setup for the uh, fundraiser. I want to thank Coach Scheibel for that. I also want to thank others of you who have donated to the cause, uh, our good friend Ron uh, Berger. Also, um, Mr. Stone, Mr. Ted Stone, thank you for your, your donation, sir. A huge stone for uh, uh, donation from Stuart earlier in the program. We've got links um, pinned on our Hoopsville page. I hope if you're watching the show simulcast there, you can see that. If you can't, let me know, and I'll, I'll try and make sure you can see it. Also, uh, we have tweeted it out a few times. It's also on the main page wherever you look. Uh, it is there as well. Uh, appreciate all those. We're keeping tabs of the donation up in the upper corner as well today. Uh, okay, so I said <laughs> on top of the CSAC race earlier, I'm still not used to the Atlantic East uh, in its second year of official existence, even though I'm the one who freaking broke the news on the darn conference. I'm not used to it. Uh, on top of the Atlantic East race, we find Cabrini, who are 14-5 and five overall, 6-0 and oh in that conference, doing well in the women's basketball side. Kate Pearson has got this team with a one-game lead on a very tough Marymount squad, two-game lead on a very different Gwyneth Mercy squad. We'll talk about that a little bit with her. She joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Hope you are well. Thanks, Dave. Thanks so much for having us and for all you do. Well, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I appreciate you coming on because that's the easiest way to do this job. Um, let's talk a little bit about your squad. Again, you're 14-5 and five on the season. Um, we've kind of gotten synonymous with you guys having good years and playing well. Uh, maybe that shouldn't be the case. We shouldn't always assume that you're going to play well. But 14 and five uh, after a 19 and 11 campaign, you got to be pretty thrilled. Um, yeah, we're we're excited about um, where we are. We made sure um, you know we went out and tried to play some good competition um, early on in the season to try and prepare us for um, a conference run and. Um, we've had uh, had some success. Uh, some success, certainly. Uh, Fourteen and five, as we mentioned. Uh, your losses, though, kind of came in, in a in a in a group. Three of the f of the losses came in a five game spurt. Middlebury tripped you up at the end of November. You got a win over Brooklyn and Keene, and then uh, Kane. I apologize. And then Arcadia got you, and Rowan got you. What was with that spurt in December? Was it finals distractions, holiday distractions? What was going on there that that caused uh, maybe the kerfuffle, as it were? Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure. We were kind of wondering the same thing. We actually uh, thought we were a little worried about going into the Kane game because we were coming out of finals that week, and we actually shot the lights out um, mm. in that game. And then uh, we really didn't have as big a break over um, the holidays as we usually have. 
And so coming into the tournament, I was um, pretty confident. We actually had a really good um, couple practices back, and I've come to learn that practice, even though we say practice the way you play, doesn't always predict what's going to happen because against uh, Arcadia, I think we were 0 for 17 in the first uh, first quarter, <laughs> which I have uh, never been a part of. So um, coming out of that, I think we just kind of got tight, and um, and it was just a, a little bit of rough rough uh, homestand there. Um, and then luckily we were able to regroup uh, after that. So a little bit of a wake-up call, I think. So one of those situations where you just kind of look at the rim and go, come on. Yes, yes. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> Did you go check to make sure there wasn't any plexiglass maybe on top of it that you couldn't see? Yeah, I kind of think I was looking at the table like, what's going on here? Because I wasn't quite sure why a couple of those shots weren't in. They were right there. Yeah, especially considering it's not like uh, it, it wasn't unfamiliar territory. Right, it was our home court. <laughs> right, yeah, that exactly. was the hardest part. <laughs> uh, of course, it translated into the next day. You had a tough one against Rowan. Uh, granted, a, a Rowan team that is that has certainly shown that they're they're to be messed, not to be messed with this year. Um, what what kind of got things back underway? Because you then went against DeSales five days later, and DeSales, a good team, um, maybe a little overrated at, at that point in the season, but still a very good brought, a team. You beat them 69-62 at home. Yeah, um, I think, you know, after, like I said, after the tournament, we had a little bit of a um, regroup and just talked about making sure that we um, – create our own identity that we make sure we put on the court. And like you said, Rowan is a, is a good team. And that was a tough loss. It was um, back and forth. It was an overtime game. And uh, so we knew coming in, we had to sales and then Marymount. We had a couple of um, good teams coming to our court and we talked about wanting to defend our court at home. Um, and another big piece of that is um, we have a senior post player, Megan Matthews, who, um, is she just kind of is our glue and she does a little bit of everything and she has been uh she went down in the first game of the season and so we had a couple freshmen and other players step in in her absence to get um some significant wins against some some quality teams um but she's that calming factor and we were able to use her um a little bit at the end of uh each quarter uh, against the sales and mm. even that little um, time that she's there just she her teammates really look to her and uh, and I think that um, that helped once we got her back that helped everybody kind of step it up a little bit it feels like that that can be easily said about a lot of programs sometimes losing a player early uh, helps other people to step up sometimes getting a player back helps everybody settle down um, it, it's an interesting dynamic you're basically a four-headed monster uh, it feels like as a team, you've got lots of other contributors, certainly, but it's a, it's the four who, who are in double digits and then a bit of a step off from there in terms of scoring. Uh, you're led. Uh, I'm not going to say Ashley's last name correctly at this point in time. It's oh, it's easier than I thought it was. Tutsauer, uh with 14 points a game, 13 and a half from Kate Lannon, Megan Matthews at uh, lost, lost it. Where is it? There it is. Nope. 10 and 10.8 and then 10.6 out of Lexi Edwards. Those four clearly are the offense for this team again others contribute but what is it about that group that does so well um you know all of them are kind of have some versatility and and i think if you asked me who our leading scorer was i might not have been able to tell you because um what's great <laughs> about them is it is different people different times um so you know one game ashley might be the leading scorer another game it might be um meg another game it might be landon and i think just the way we kind of 
play um, offensively. Um, Kate Landon and Megan Matthews are both kind of post players, but they can both step out and they can go off the dribble and they can post up. So it allows us to kind of spread our offense, which opens up opportunities for some other players. It's certainly fascinating. By the way, leading rebounder on the team is Matthews, I believe it's 7.0. It is. Uh, so certainly a, um, a key player. And, and I don't want to skip anybody else. Uh, Cassidy Gallagher is your, your leading assist um, distributor, at least statistically, and there's others who certainly make a contribution. You talk about not knowing on any given night. How important, though, is also the bench on any given night? The, the bench has been, um, you know, our, our depth this year, I think, has been a huge difference maker. And there's been different games where foul trouble or, like we said, we've had injuries against the sales. We actually had, um, you know, our first two posts, uh, our a starting post who was starting in place of Matthews and then the next post on the bench both go down in that game. So then we had two other kids come in, step in off the bench. Um, and the the best part about this group right now is they genuinely care about each other and they are sacrificing whatever they can do for their teammates. And if somebody steps up and has a good game, then everybody else is happy for that player. And it is, uh, and I think that's kind of the difference right now. Yeah, well, that's the key uh, for a lot of teams. Uh, I wouldn't call your team young. You've got a whole mess of juniors, but you also have a whole mess of freshmen to go with, what, is it two seniors yeah. on this team? So you've got an interesting dynamic there because you've got a little bit of the, the old guard who understand what it needs to get done, but you also have a lot of underclassmen who are learning but at the same time contributing. Yeah, and I think, I think our uh, underclassmen have really made a, a great addition this year of kind of pushing the upperclassmen. I think last year we had a smaller roster. We had veterans. Uh, but we didn't have enough people pushing each other um, that way. And so the upperclassmen great, have great leadership. Um, our senior captains have lead the way, but that junior class, um, again, is all right there. And that goes from, you know, those who are, are playing significant minutes and then those who are um, are, are key, key voices on the bench and in practice. And um, really it's a credit to the upperclassmen to lead the way and then um, for our new players to come in and just kind of give that fresh energy. The AEC race means something. At least you want to be on top because it's going to better position yourself for that Pool B bid. You've got one more year of the non-AQ before you'll, you'll gobble that AQ up. Got a game lead on Marymount and a two-game lead on Gwinnett Mercy, three games on Immaculata. Right now, if you look at the overall record, it's a, it's a race between you guys and Marymount. Uh, what is it about this Marymount squad, which I believe you got passed already once this season? Um, you did, 76-67. You obviously... We'll have one more game against them coming up. But what is it about them, and, and how important is it to stay ahead of them? Um, you know, we kind of are trying to take it one game at a time, but but Marymount is definitely um, a very good team, and they are just very good at what they do. They um, they really defend. They're in your face. They run their offense. They have patience. They go to the board, so if they miss that first one, they're going for it. And they just play hard the full uh, 40 minutes every time. So they are – um, definitely a team um, that is, is going to give you their best shot every time that they come out. So um, I won't lie and say that our team doesn't um, kind of have them circled because we <laughs> battled with them last year. Yeah. We were in a similar scenario this time last year. Um, we beat them the first time, but then went down there, lost, and then lost to them in the AEC championship. So um, there's definitely a, a nice rivalry kind of uh, developing there um, and, and because they are a very good team. Well, at least you beat them at their place, and it wasn't close, 81-54, the rematch. Um, no, hold on. No, that was Mary Wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah I wrote the, the wrong Mary. You beat them yeah. at your place, 76-67, right. so you're going to have to repeat on the fifth. 
Yeah, too many Marys in the conference. Yeah. Can, we, can we fix that, please? Uh, I'm jokingly talking to your commissioner's office. Um, the other curveball in this conference is Gwyneth Mercy. Uh, Keith Mundillo threw a curveball at everybody this year. Looks like he's decided to pull out the system. He's running and gunning. You guys went to a 104-77 match with him, meaning they haven't perfected it, but they've certainly forced everybody's hands a little bit. That's got to be interesting to adjust to. Oh, it's definitely a different um, approach as to, you know, scouting report, game plan, uh, when when you're playing the style that he's playing, the five in, five out, the, you know, fast pace, everybody all over the place. It's it's hard not to get sucked into that style. So we talked about it before our game, um, you know, not wanting to get sucked in to make sure that we'd be in attack mode but don't rush things. And uh, you still end up taking a lot of shots in the first ten seconds of the shot clock. And, uh Luckily, we made enough of them that night, but um, that style of play is definitely um, a dangerous one to have to go against again. I'm curious what it was like to walk in with the scouting report and say, so remember that Gwen and Mercy team of old? It ain't, it's of old. Here's what they do, and I'd love to know the, what, what the reactions were like. Um, I actually think I just had the team um, watch a little bit of film first and let them tell me what they think was going on. So then I kind of flipped the script a little bit on them. And uh, were there good any, they were, any they good answers? Were like, whoa. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. yeah so they, they noticed and, and knew it's, you know, like I said, it's a tough style to have to play against. And it's it's like a track meet when you're going sure. through that. So uh, I would love to have been a fly on the wall to see the jaws hit the floor. Uh, they're doing what? Um, but they handled it well. 104.77, though, you got them coming up again. Um, again, it's not to, to take any shine off of a championship trophy. There's a, it's about positioning yourself so you can get that Pool B, and if not get that, at least maybe get a Pool C bid for at least one more year. Does that change the approach at all as you move forward, or do you keep the same approach you've had if you were going for an AQ? You know, we, uh, to be honest, you know, in terms of scheduling, we tried to go out and, and I know like Karen spoke about this, but go out and, and build a, a pretty decent non-league schedule, which we try to do every year anyway. So it's really our focus is on um, the conference championship. And then um, we're hoping that if we um, are able to secure that and we put ourselves in a good enough uh, position for postseason play, then that's uh, how it will be. And so it's, you know, like I said, everything really is just more focused on that AEC championship and sure. then see where everything falls because everything else is a little bit out of our control without the AQ. Makes sense. Coach, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Doing great things. Oh, I, before I forgot, I meant to ask another coaching change at Scranton. Of course, everybody brings you up uh, because, you know, you might know something about Scranton. Uh, you're in your 11th season at Cabrini. I think, can we just put assured that, that you found your home? Yeah, my, my hometown is in this area, kind of like Adrian just said. So I grew up in this area. My support system uh, and such is here, and I loved my playing days at Scranton. But uh, I think Cabrini is where my heart is right now. Well, nothing in Scranton. It's a hard sell to go back up north in Pennsylvania when you're outside Philadelphia. <laughs> it's right? true. Sure. I mean, it is, uh, this Philly area and Philly basketball is, uh, is hard to beat. Hard to get a good cheesesteak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> coach, thanks for the time. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Uh, I just kind of wanted to shout out. I know Karen Harvey was on earlier talking about uh, her responsibilities from the NCAA chair. And uh, when I was on the rack, she was our um, the head of the rack. And the work that she puts into it is tremendous. And uh, everybody else that does it, I just uh, shout out to everybody that's doing that to put that extra time and effort in to do the best that we can for the game. I agree. Good words, though. It's an interesting tactic to make sure you get into the tournament, Coach. 
<laughs> no, no intention there. Just uh... I kid. I know you guys all know each other very well, and it was well said. Uh, I just couldn't resist the urge. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in or joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in also, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you and about the Cavs down the road. All right, great. Thanks so much, Dave. Absolutely, Cabrini coach Kate Pearson joining us here on the show. Again, uh, Newman coming up this weekend. Uh, then they're at Marymount on Wednesday. So circle to, uh, the 5th of February coming up. That'll be a good game. That's followed by on the road against Gwyneth Mercy. So they, those few games there are going to be big. Immaculata ends the season. They got some games in between that'll be that'll certainly mean something. But the 5th and the 8th are games if you want to circle. That'll be uh, interesting to watch, to say the least. Appreciate her coming on the show. We'll take another break. When we come back, where are we headed? Oh, we're heading up to New York. RPI men's basketball coach Matt Gilbride will join us to talk about his squad. I got some questions because the schedule is not telling me what it needs to tell me, and the conference isn't telling me what it needs to tell me. How good is RPI, and and what do we make of it? You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. Back with more after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. It's on us. It's on all of us, and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. I used to never really talk. Ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division Three has helped me to develop 
teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal training and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Welcome back to Hoopsville as the marathon continues. We're a little bit behind schedule, but we actually have a little bit of floating time coming up. After we get done with this segment, if we have time, we'll take a break and uh, maybe answer some of your questions, put our hair down for a few minutes before taking another break and continuing on with the show. We have lots still ahead of us. We're approaching the halfway point of our our scheduled part of the show. Uh, Starting at 8 o'clock, we'll have our happy hour part of the show. That will change things a little bit, and that's definitely where we let our hair down. That is for sure. Uh, if you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville where we're simulcasting the show. You can also message us there. I'll try and make sure to keep track of any messages. Also, email us dave.mcue at d3sports.com. It's all scrolling at the bottom of the screen. Don't forget, we're also using this uh, event as a fundraiser. You can see how much we've raised in the upper corner. There are several donate buttons on our main show page, um, the marathon page, but that we've also tweeted them out and put them out on the Facebook page. Please uh, keep track of them and use them as you wish. I want to thank everybody for their donations so far. $670. Appreciate that. Uh, it will go a long way to helping some things. To be honest, we need a lot more to, to keep going into the future. Uh, I don't take any dollar lightly, but to be honest, we need a bit more, especially if we want to get to Atlanta this year for the men's championship game in D3. So earlier I said Matt uh, Gilbride. Apparently my brain went sideways late last night as I was fin- f- finishing everything up for the show and conflated another name, and we, we renamed Coach Gilbride. So I don't know if we're going to stick with that or if Coach insists that we stick with the Mark, which is his real name. We'll find out now as he joins us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline from RPI. So do you want to go with Mark or do you want to go with Matt? Mark is good. Okay, and, uh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, a lot of times I, uh, I get called by – my father's a coach, so sometimes I get called Tim, which is his name. My okay. uncle is a football coach, so I get called uh, Kevin sometimes, which is his name. So I'm used to that, but Mark is great. <laughs> Mark at least is on the graphic. I just put Matt everywhere else, and I think I even tweeted out Matt. Um, it's funny because I think RPI – looking forward to hearing what Mark has to say about his team after I said Matt. So it's all fun and games, as I say. Um, <laughs> coach, thanks for taking the time. You guys are 15-2 and two overall, 10-0 and 0 in the Liberty – league at this point in time i'll be blunt i don't know what to make of you guys because when i look at the schedule i've got more question marks than i have answers give me a sense of who rpi is this season yeah sure well um and i'll and i'll answer the same way that i'm we're not a finished product yet i don't think either so i'm not sure uh exactly how good we are but i do think we uh we've done some things really well so far this year which has been awesome um 
we've been playing tremendous defense. Um, we have uh, a group of uh, players that are um, can guard a little a lot of different positions, and so uh, we're able to switch a lot of screens. And uh, we have versatile defenders can guard different players, very smart defenders, and a team that's really focused. And so it's been, uh, you know, I think tough for people to score on us. And uh, offensively, um, we're passing the ball well. We're scoring in transition. Um, we're getting the ball inside, and so. Um, you know, we haven't shot the three particularly well so far, um, but we've been uh, been able to uh, score from two very well uh, with post-ups, in transition, on back cuts, on drives to the basket, and things like that, uh, and then play really good defense. And so uh, that's been good uh, so far this season. Um, you lost your first two games of the season, Rutgers-Newark and Westfield State, those games at Westfield. Uh, and then you haven't lost since. And I think that's where you start going, well, this is pretty darn impressive. Uh, that said, the schedule's full of teams, I think, that are more unknowns to a lot of people. So I think that's why we have the questions. Um, Cobbleskill, Mount St. Mary, Sage, certainly uh, good programs in their own rights. Uh, and then you get into conference play, but you got SUNY Delhi and, and others that I think we, we constantly want to know more about. What was the mentality going into, into the scheduling this year? Was it to kind of build you guys, as it were, towards the future? Um, was it take what you could get? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ways that could go. Yeah. So, um, SUNY Cobleskill and Sage have been teams that we've, we've played kind of every year. Um, so they're both, um, sort of more local games, uh, both very good programs, good coaches. Um, the Westfield state tournament was actually a, a really strong tournament. Uh, so, you know, Rutgers Newark was a very good team. We played well against and lost to in the first round. And then, uh, Westfield state is having a great year. Um, and, uh, and they kind of took it to us in the in the second game of the season. Um, you know that tournament. I thought, geez, did we did we overshoot with that tournament? Uh, but uh, it, it seemed to help us. We refocused after that, watched some things on film, looked at some stuff that we thought we could get better at, and um, and have just been kind of approaching it game by game since then. But uh, and trying to get a little bit better each game and just try our best uh, to win in every game that we that we play. Um, but it's. Uh, it, you know, it's it's been good, um, but we certainly have a long way to go. I feel like we're we're, we're ten games through our conference. We have mm-hmm. eight conference games to go. It's kind of like uh, you know having a a lead at halftime. It doesn't really mean a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. You know, we're in a conference where you have to play everybody twice, and so um, it. Uh, I'm sure we're in for a lot of. Uh, uh, highly contested battles uh, as, as we play everybody in these last eight games. Well, Hobart has looked good uh, at some points in this season. They're now two games back of you guys. So you have a, you also have a win on them, so two and a half, let's call it. Ithaca is uh, two and a half games back. You have a win on them. We can call it three in Union. Those three teams, though, certainly successful. And Skidmore, surprisingly, at 6-11 and 11 overall, but they're 5-5 five and five in conference. There's a lot of teams in this group that have been good. Uh, Hobart, who looks like they're returning to form at 14 and three. So you to be on top is probably saying something significant for you guys. Well, yeah, it's nice for us. You know, we've, um, this is my sixth year here. Uh, we've been, you know, I think we have a lot of nice things in place here. It's a great academic school. We have 
tremendous, awesome athletic facilities. Um, you know, I work for and with great people. Our, our president, Dr. Jackson, is a big supporter of sports. Our athletic director, Lee McElroy, associate athletic directors, Karen Hansen, Kevin Beatty, Scott Sassenberry are all really good. And so there's a lot of really good things in place. That being said, there's a lot of good teams in our league and traditional programs, and it, it's uh, in order to, to try to knock those teams off or, or get ahead of them or have a year where you're better than them is, um, you know, is, is, a, is a big step. And so, um, like I said, we're, we've got a lot of games to play, but it's, uh, it's been fun to, um, you know, to, to try to keep building that each year. You're in, in an interesting run here because you had two games on the road against Vassar and Ithaca. You both got wins over. Now you got two more on the road against Skidmore and Union. It's going to pay off because you're going to have four at home uh, after this and then uh, two on the road. But this is, this is not an easy stretch of conference play. No, you're you're absolutely right, and uh, and and some you know this weekend you know the one nice thing I guess we played two really uh, traditionally very strong teams with two uh, great coaches and on the road, so all of that is really hard. The nice thing is Skidmore and Union are right up the road from us, yes, um, and so it's not uh, you know a four-hour drive to to go play these teams. Um, so at least that part of it is uh, is a little nicer, but certainly. Um, uh, certainly, having to play two more road games against uh, against two teams that we know are going to be really tough to beat uh, is is not easy. This team only has two seniors. I, I feel like that's maybe why you guys are still trying to find yourselves. You don't you're not overloaded in terms of upperclassmen. Uh, you've got still players who are finding themselves or finding the program or figuring things out. Is 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 that part of it? In that that the senior leadership's great, but it's you're still building to some degree. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's nice. I think it's a nice mix of that. Where our, our senior leaders are are awesome. Kevin Davis and Mitch Wayand are both um, uh, just tremendously focused team guys, and so I think that's why we've been able to sort of have this mentality of um, you know not really getting caught up in uh, you know what place teams are in or anything like that, or who's supposed to be good, or just kind of going out and trying our hardest in every game. And then after the game, analyzing it, trying to get a little bit better, improve, and then go out and try your hardest the next game. And uh, both of our seniors are, are very, very good at that. And so I think they've, um, that's carried over to everybody else. And then we have um, you know, a lot of uh, talented uh, young players that are, are finding their way and, and learning to be uh, a, a part of something. And so it's really exciting. When you look, uh, I mean, you look at the stat sheet, Patrick Mahoney, a junior, leading the way in scoring. Mason Memelar, a sophomore, is second. Uh, they are both at 14.5 points a game, essentially. Uh, your leading rebounder is actually uh, Dom Black at 5.9, though Memelar and Mahoney are right in that conversation as well. Is it, and actually, I should mention Dom Black. He's 9.9 .9 points. We'll call that double digits. So you got those three. And again, we didn't mention a senior there. It, are you guys playing ahead of the curve to some degree? Um, good question. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. Those those guys have all played well. You know, the the, the three guys you've named all all have uh, a lot of experience. They all played a lot last year, so that's been nice. Um, and they're all you know, very good players. And uh, I, I think a strength of our team has been rebounding in general. And so um, certainly uh, Pat Mahoney is a very good scorer and rebounder. Uh, Mason Memoir is a very good scorer and rebounder. Um, and then Don Black is, is leading us in rebounds, and he's our point guard. Um, and so, you know, I think when you have guards that rebound that well, and, and, and Dom does, you know, so much for us defensively and rebounding and as well as scoring um, and making plays for his teammates. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it's, it's nice in that way to have uh, – 
a lot of guys that, that can get you a rebound and a lot of guys that can make a bucket. Um, and so that, that's, uh, it, it's a good group in terms of that. And they all have an, enough experience that they uh, you know, seem to be ready to do it. Um, the defense, I think, is what jumps out and should jump out to a lot of people, only averaging 58.24 points a game, apparently second best in the country at that low a number. Sometimes you don't really need an offense if you're going to be that stickler on defense. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, no, and that's been really good. And, uh, you know, obviously you need to, uh, if, if you're going to have defense be your strength, you need to take care of the basketball, uh, make sure you're not turning it over and giving teams easy buckets that way and that you're sure. getting a good shot every time down court. Um, but, uh, but then you hope you can make it really hard on the other team. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, we've, we've done that um, so far. Uh, certainly playing teams the second time around, they'll figure some stuff out and have some, some wrinkles that they put in that we'll see if we're able to, to keep defending them well. And then, uh, you know, and then our offense is, we, we, has been pretty good. Uh, it needs to keep getting a little bit better as we play team because we're going to play some teams that no matter how good a defense you play, they get hot and they make some shots and, uh, and you've got to be able to, to stay with them in, in those moments. So, um, but we've got some guys that are, that certainly can score and are, uh, you know, passing well and we're getting better and better at, at running things the way we want to. Um, you know, every year we're a high assist team, a high assist to turnover ratio team, and um, and this is a group that's definitely you know bought into that. And so it's uh, it, you know I think it's a fun way to play, and we keep getting a little better at it. What's really amazing is you've already hit the win total from last year, and you're closing in on the record for a regular season, which was 18. You guys are certainly having a great year in terms of that and maybe flying under the radar as a result of which is kind of weird uh and maybe because you know that's why i get you on the show i, I don't i make sure the radar <laughs> is fully on um one thing i want to point out by the way is it seems appropriate we had Bowden on a couple a couple guests ago uh on the women's side of things your dad a longtime coach at Bowden. um you're from maine uh what's it mean to to be coaching your own program after watching what your dad did for so long at Bowden? it's awesome um, you know, and I actually, I played for my dad and, uh, coached there as an assistant for a couple of years. So, um, it's, uh, certainly for me growing up, it was always so fun to, um, uh, you know, to see his teams and, and his, and his program and, to you know, sort of get to be a part of that even as a kid. Um, and then, uh, you know, now to, to have my own program is, is just, just really fun. And we, you know, we'll, we talk a lot about things that are going on with his team or things that are going on with my team. And so it's, it's a really nice, um, you know, kind of special relationship to have. Um, and certainly he's done such a, such a great job for, for so many years yeah. and has so many alumni that, that, that come back and um, are, are, are part of it still. And uh, so that's, you know, we want to build that type of thing here. Uh, it certainly takes a while, but, um, but, it's, uh, but it's awesome. And so it's, it, it, it's a lot of fun. That, uh, that he's been in it and that I have a chance to be in it now, too. One of those things where you finally said, Dad, you're not retiring. i got to go somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. You were at Clarkson prior. There's other places. I completely kid. Uh, no pressure, though, because your, your uncle uh, has had success in the NFL. Now he's going to the XFL. Uh, I assume that the Thanksgivings and, and Christmases could be really interesting around the Gilbride house. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of sports talk, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's fun. It's always been fun to you know to root for my uncle's teams and um, 
and uh, we have a you know family of coaches. I have um, a, you know another uncle and cousins that are in coaching, and so um, it's. Uh, uh, it's it's almost like a family business, um, sure. but uh, it's uh, it does make uh, it, it makes talking about about sports and teams and coaching and you have other people that that you can relate to and bounce stuff off of, which is re- which is really nice. Well, I appreciate you coming on and bouncing stuff off of us and answering some questions for us. Eight games left in the regular season, plus conference tournament still ahead. You guys are certainly in control, as they say right now, but I know there's a lot to play for. So I appreciate the time you took to join us. Um, out of your prep work for Skidmore. Um, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those tuned in? Yeah, yeah sure, thanks. I just want to uh, thank our, our assistant coach, Eric Kempfe, who's been with us. This is his third year now, does a tremendous job, so it's certainly a huge part of why we have uh, having the success that we're having, and so you know, appreciate that from him, and uh, I'd be remiss if I don't uh, thank my wife, Amanda, who's uh, uh, awesome and, and a big part of things as well. Certainly. She has to listen to all that sports talk at the holidays. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 I don't feel, I mean, my wife has to too, so I get it. Uh, <laughs> her son is driving her crazy. Uh, thanks so much for the time, Mark. Really appreciate it. Good luck the rest of the way. Look forward to talking about RPI down the road and, and maybe talking to you guys in March as well. That'd be awesome. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Take care. Mark Gilbride joining us here on the um, Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Um, one person uh, says, uh, you know, I guess it, it should seem like they're having a heck of a season. Who are those that don't so? I think basically seeing who who are they who don't know what their season is like. I think when you look at a schedule like RPI has, I think it adds questions because it, it, to be blunt, there's no heavy hitters in that schedule. And so you don't know how they rate in comparison to a Rochester uh, just there in that location, for example. You don't know how they relate to a NESCAC team or how they relate to a St. Joe's out of Connecticut or how they relate to some of the Pennsylvania teams. So, you have questions, and that's why we get the coaches on. Get a better gauge of who these programs are. They continue to win. 15-game winning streak is not a slouch against anybody. you got to be on your A game because anybody can beat anybody nowadays in the parity that is Division Three. So appreciate Coach coming on. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, get about four or five minutes of chat, and then we're going to take another break before we get to our next coach. We're just going to take a reset here. If you got questions for us, send them our way via Twitter, Facebook, whatever. I'll get a chance maybe to donate to the show as well. But we'll take a break and come back, just kind of reset things as we're about halfway through this marathon. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will right after this. has given me the flexibility to pursue my passions and my interests and I've recreated my identity for myself aside from just being an athlete. My greatest personal discovery has been that I am capable of doing things that I didn't know I was capable of doing. To be able to study what I wanted to and continue to play the sport I love, all of those things came together very nicely in one package in Division 3. Cheer for the stumbles. The Heat should have had that. And the tears that linger. 
For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. 